Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe. If I haven't met you yet, uh, thanks for coming this morning. You picked the perfect Sunday to come. We're having a picnic, as you heard, right after church, right around 1130. And I was thinking this morning, if I was a Jedi, I would try to persuade you of a few things right now. Um, One is you do not smell any food at all. So then you repeat back to me and you say, we do not smell any food at all. Um, There's no bouncy houses outside. There's no obstacle courses that are being inflated right now. We're just going to lock in. But I'm not a Jedi, so um, we'll pray and ask the Lord for help. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask for your help. We pray you would speak to us. We thank you for the fun we're going to have this afternoon. And uh, we just love you and thank you that your word um, is a gift to us. And we pray we would enjoy that gift today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week we started a series on the book of Acts. And today is our second message on the book of Acts. And the title of this message, the series is called Go and Tell. And today's message is called Actively Waiting. Actively Waiting. I imagine this morning I can pretty much divide this room into two groups of people rather quickly. You ready? Watch me divide the the room into two groups. There are those of you who are very action-based. You like to do things and you like to get things done. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay? Put your hand down. There are those of you who are contemplative thinkers, planners, strategists. Decisions take a while for you because you want to appreciate all the details, all the complexities of a particular situation. If that's you, raise your hand. There's a lot more doers in the room than thinkers. Well, both are not bad. And there's some of you, probably a third group, that are kind of a mixture of both. Those of you who work in any kind of setting with teams or groups of people, you probably often get frustrated by those who are not like you. So if you are a doer, the thinkers seem to slow everything down. If you're a thinker and want to really take your time and understand the complexities of something in the workplace, the action people really frustrate you because they end up making the same mistakes over and over And over again, because they don't think anything through. Can you relate? So here's the question for you. Is Christianity a faith of action or prayerful contemplation and meditation? Let me ask that again. Is Christianity a faith of action, of doing, or is it one of prayerful thinking and deep meditation? Yes, it is. The answer is yes. It is both. It is a trick question because we are going to see in the book of Acts, there's a ton of action. There's a ton of movement to reach people for Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of times where they're waiting and they're praying. And they're prayerfully considering what's next. See, both are in the Bible and both are in the book of Acts. And both are essential for the advancement of Christianity, for the advancement of 
the good news of Jesus Christ. And chances are, just like we, I just showed you, that you, you either lean one way or the other. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We want to have a church filled with people that are motivated towards action and a church filled with people who are motivated towards praying and thinking carefully about God's Word. But we need both. See, if we go all with action, without dependence on the Lord, we will quickly get in trouble. But if all we ever do is pray and think about the Bible, and never do anything for the good of of the Lord or the good of others, then then we're missing a piece of it as well. So this morning we're going to see that the disciples, they're they're waiting. Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. But even in their waiting, they're being extremely active. So let's look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 1. If you have a phone, you can pull it up. Acts 1, um, starting at verse 12. I'm just going to read through 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the first thing we're going to see is the disciples, even while they're waiting, they were actively praying. They were actively seeking the Lord. So the first point is the disciples actively prayed. They were not passive even in their waiting. Look at verse 12 again. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. So they were waiting, and they had to to walk um, um, to a place near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day's journey away. That that doesn't mean it took a whole day to get there. It means it was about 2,000 paces away from where they were. So it was actually a very short walk, less than a mile. But the, the Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law, they came up with a law that said on the Sabbath, you can only walk a maximum of 2,000 paces. And so basically it was right around the corner, and there they went. Verse 13, And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. And then we get the list of the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is no longer with them. He had taken his life, but the other men are staying there. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. So you have 11 men right there that I think if we interviewed each of them, half maybe would be doers and half would be thinkers, prayerful contemplators. And they would be waiting. No different than than us. And these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And we know from verse 15, there were about 120 people gathered in this room. And before we we think much about what they were doing and how they were praying, 
I want you to just imagine if you were one of the 11 disciples. And I want you to imagine what their last 40 days of their life has been like. See, these men and the women who are with them and the surrounding followers of Jesus, they have been on a roller coaster of emotions. So you remember, it wasn't too long ago, about 40 days prior, where Jesus was betrayed and then crucified. This was the man that they were putting all their hope in. This is the man that they were really living with for about three years. This is the man that they saw do incredible miracles for men, women, and children all over the region. This is the man that the night he was um, arrested, they all ran from and denied that they even knew him. This is the man that was buried after he died on the cross for our sins. This is the man that three days afterward, he came back from the dead and then began to appear to them. This was the man that one of their own, one of the twelve, one of their good, close friends handed over. He was deceptive. He was the one who was guilty for Jesus being arrested. This was their good, dear friend, Judas, that we're going to learn a, more, a little bit more about today. They, this man, Judas, who was with them also for three years, who they would have eaten meals with, who they would have been sharing miracles together with, who they would have even heard of Judas being used by God to do miracles, this Judas took his own life just out of the guilt and shame of handing over Jesus. So these men were on a roller coaster of emotions. And then Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them and opening their eyes to the Old Testament. All the Old Testament spoke about Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us at the end of Luke, part one of the book of Acts, that as the disciples were heading towards Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit, they were filled with joy and expectation for what was to come. So these men were on a whirlwind of emotions. But after Jesus had spent so much time with them, they were committed to the cause, and they were committed to obey the Lord and to prayer. And so look at verse 14. We're going to slow down a little bit. All these, approximately 120 people, were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. See, as the disciples waited, they were actively devoted to prayer. They were committed to spending time with God the Father and asking bold things, probably primarily the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so they could have power to be his witnesses. But they were devoted and they were committed. And the idea here, the sense of the word, is this ongoing pursuit of God through prayer, through praise, through blessing, and through request. They were committed and they were devoted. So I want you to think about it this way. What would this town be like? What would this community be like? What would this region be like if all of us all the Christians that gather in all the local churches in Indiana, Pennsylvania were committed, were devoted to regular prayer, to continual prayer. What if we actually obeyed this verse, 
1 Thessalonians 5.17, which says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What if we actually did that? Now you might think, that's impossible. Who thinks that's impossible? You're afraid. (laughs) I get it. Because if you raise your hand, then I'll say, it's not impossible. So, is it impossible? I don't think it's impossible to do it in the sense of being mindful and aware of the Lord. I mean, one way to think of it is how often, and I'll put myself in this too, we check things on our, our social media apps. Think how quickly and how, how fast. Maybe some of you have been doing it as I've been preaching. Oh, let me just check Instagram real quick. I just want to see, see that cute cat falling off the table one more time. Um, you just do it real quick. I, I looked this morning. Um, raise your hand if you know who Dude Perfect is. Okay, so a number of you. There's a, a, n- a number of young guys. I follow them on Instagram. These guys, they, they do all these tricks with, like, ping pong balls and basketballs, and they'll, like, throw a football off of um, a 50-story building into a basketball hoop. Um, well, a lot of people like what they do. And so I was watching, or I clicked on this ping pong thing today. 30 million people in the world watch Dude Perfect um, arrange this ping pong ball trick. Well, sometimes we just were doing something, and that catches our attention, and now we're spending a few minutes watching ping pong balls or basketballs off of ships into basketball hoops. Whatever it would be, we, we quickly gravitate towards social media type things, and we do it that quickly. I was thinking, what if we prayed that often? Um, what if it was just our natural bent, rather than to check an app, to think about the Lord and pray for something? I was in the Bible class today that Keith McCracken taught, and he said years ago, before all um, bills were paid online, they would, they would pay. This is something his pastor from Pittsburgh told him. They would, when they would take their, their payment to the mail, let's say Penelec, for example, and pay their electric bill, uh, the pastor taught them to pray for the people at the electric company that would be benefiting from the money that was being sent there. And so it was a real God word quick way to pray. What if we were so mindful of the Lord and the things of the Lord that when we just go through our day, we would be requesting things of the Lord? What a difference that would make. What if when you're driving down through Philadelphia Street on a Friday or Saturday night and you see cop cars with their lights all lit up and you see young men or young women in handcuffs, what if you prayed, Lord, Rescue that man. Rescue that woman. Bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life. Set them free, not just physically, but spiritually. What a difference that would make if we were just devoted and committed to prayer. Well, you might be thinking, well, I don't know if it would be a difference. I don't know if anything really happens when we talk to the Lord. Well, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are his son or daughter. And so when you pray, he intends to act. And he is powerful. See, when you pray, you are praying as a child, as a son or a daughter. I have three children. And so when they need something, they get my attention. Different than all the other kids in the world. Because I'm their 
Father. It's the same with you as you raise your voice to heaven. The God of heaven who sent Jesus to save you hears you immediately and intends to act. Look, look at this verse from James. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah had a nature like you and like me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. We're praying to the same God as he did. We have the same fallen nature that he did. We, as Christians, if you put your trust in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit inside of us to lead and guide us to pray. And so I want to raise our expectations that as you pray, it can be long, formal times with the Lord in private. It can be times together corporately as we gather on a Sunday morning, but it can be times just driving in your car, heading to work, dropping kids off at school, picking kids up from school. Get used to just praying without ceasing and asking the Lord to do great things. See, we often, and this is not wrong, we often pray for our own situations and circumstances. That's not wrong. I do that all the time. And, and many times the Lord answers those prayers. But one of the things we're going to see in the book of Acts as we go through this is Jesus' heart for the whole world, for every tribe, tongue, and nation, for all kinds of people. And so we should pray along those lines for the good of others. So let's, every time you want to look at your phone, pray. Try that this week and then tell me how that went. So every time you're going to check something, think, okay, I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to check it. Just so there's no misunderstanding, those of you who guessed, I have an iPhone, I use an iPhone, I'm not anti-iPhones. Um, but you get the point. Be that tuned in to the Lord. Well, the disciples, they were actively praying and they were unified as they prayed. They were one. They were united. Look at verse 14 again. And these with one accord. That can be translated one mind, one purpose, or one impulse. With one accord, with one impulse, with one purpose, with one mind, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. See, this idea of being united in one accord and being together, that word together had stronger meaning, has a stronger meaning than just being in the same room. So we can be together. I can say, hey, we're all together right now. Say we're going to go out to the picnic and eat hamburgers together. But that's not the same as to say we are all united. We are all traveling the same direction. We all have the same impulses towards one central thing. See, those of you who are sports fans, I'm a big sports fan. Sports teams, professional or college or even high school, they do well because they have good athletes. That is certainly a big part of it. They do well because they work hard. That is a, a critical ingredient. But usually what separates the champions 
from those who are not champions is what sports people call team chemistry. That there's a team not only of gifted athletes, of hard workers who are committed, but they are united. They are committed. They are of one mind, of one single purpose and goal. How many of you are thinking about Antonio Brown going to the Patriots right now? (laughs) So it's an example of, of what maybe not to do. See, if you have someone or a group of people that are tugging and pulling different directions, it, it's, dis, it's disunity. It, it doesn't, doesn't help you achieve the goal. See, the, the book of Acts is all about the goal of reaching the world, of being empowered to be God's witnesses. And that same command, commission, is our responsibility. Now, we need to be united in order to achieve and accomplish that mission. How do we unite? Well, we unite around Jesus Christ. We unite around fixing and focusing all our attention on Jesus, who is perfect, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who is going to come back one day. He's our common ground. No matter your upbringing, your background, your race, your ethnicity, he's the great uniter. And that's why I love that that picture in the book of Revelation where you have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation centered around Jesus, worshiping at his throne. That's what heaven is going to be like. And that's what Jesus wants us to be like now. You might think, Are you sure? I am sure. I am certain. Look at John 17. This is what Jesus said before he went to heaven. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, it's shocking to people. A church should be shocking to people, especially if it's a church that's reflective of how God wants it to be. It should be people of all ages and backgrounds coming together, centered around Jesus Christ, and united, not because we like the same foods or we like the same music or we dress the same, but with all our preferences, we're able to lay those down and center around Jesus. See, The disciples were able to do that. And you might be thinking, well, that's because they were disciples. Of course they were able to do that. Well, if you remember in the Bible, the disciples were often fighting with each other and jockeying for position. In one case, two of the disciples had their mom talk to Jesus and just save a seat for them in the high positions. So there was infighting and, and, and backbiting. And by this point, after Jesus had died rose from the grave, spent 40 days with them. They were united. Something had changed. They had changed. God had changed them. Well, he can do the same thing in us. He wants to do the same thing in us. And to the degree that we are committed to prayer and unity is to the degree we'll have a greater impact in this region. So let's be committed to that. Second thing we'll see is that the disciples actively searched the scriptures. They're waiting 
But they weren't just praying and scratching their heads. They were running through, maybe by memory of the things that Jesus was teaching them during those 40 days. What does the Scripture say? What are the kind of things that we should be applying right now as we're waiting? So look at verse 15. Peter takes the lead. You'll see this in the book of Acts. The first half of the book of Acts is really Peter being the the lead apostle. And then the second half of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul becomes the lead apostle. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120. And he said this, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who, were arrested, who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open to the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to him, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, I didn't look this word up. Akeldama, we'll say. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So what Peter's doing is he's applying the Old Testament scriptures to their current situation. There were 12 disciples. Jesus selected 12. Now there's only 11. And he's saying, what what should we do? Well, we should have another take his place. And see, this is where in in the book of Acts, there are things that are going to be described and prescribed. So this is something that's unique to them. They needed a 12th disciple. And so it's it's pretty unique. It's very unique to to their their situation. And so the way Peter is applying the scriptures is unique to them as well. But there's a lot we can learn. But we can read this and think, what? Okay, Judas took his life, and it sounds like they they think he may have hung himself and then fell to the ground, and that's where you get the graphic language of the Scriptures um, discussing what, what happened to him physically. But the point is, Jesus took blood money to, to betray his friend, or Judas took blood money to betray his friend Jesus. And I want you to think about this, because we can miss the, the human element to this. This is their friend that they're talking about. This is probably at least one or two of them might have considered Judas, who betrayed Jesus, one of their closest friends. See, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but the disciples did not. And when Jesus was alive and well, and he sent out the disciples, and they came back with the reports of all these miracles, Judas had them too. He had stories I'm sure, of blind people having their eyes open as he prayed for them, of deaf people being able to hear. So they would never have noticed the things that only Jesus could have noticed. And so there was grief and there was heartache and there was sadness. If you have been a part of Christianity for any amount of time, a local church, a Christian ministry, there will be heartache. There will be challenges both within and without. It's throughout the New Testament. um, It's throughout church history. And those confusing times, those disorienting times, 
are important times because we have to think, what, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? And this is where Peter steps up as a leader. And he acknowledges and I'm sure personally feels the pain and the sorrow of his own friend who had taken his life. But he knows the mission is to reach the world, is to introduce men and women, teenagers, young boys and girls, the love of Jesus Christ. And so with heavy hearts at times, you move forward because they want to obey the Lord. And that's what what Peter's doing here. And so they know part of the mission is to get a 12th disciple. But before we go to that that piece and the casting of lots, which might seem odd to some of us, um, I want to just point out a few other things in regards to Judas. There's some universal principles from the Bible that are absolutely true with the life of Judas. I want you to think, if you were Judas, so Judas had all the advantages that a Christian could have. He had a front seat with Jesus himself. He was brought into the, 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 the core circle of Jesus' closest companions. He was not only an eyewitness of all these incredible acts, but he would have been part of the late night and early morning conversations. He would have been part of the laughter over meals. He would have spent lots and lots of time with Jesus. But we know from the Gospels, one of his sins, among many, was he liked to steal money. He, he was greedy. He liked to help himself to the money bag. He watched over the money bag as one of his jobs, and he would help himself to the money bag. And the love of money was part of the key to his corruption. And so we can learn from Judas that sin will always have consequences. It will always have consequences. See, Judas's life could have been like Peter's life, like one of the other disciples' life, a fruitful, long life of doing good for the Lord and for the good of others. But instead, he he took the bait. He chose sin over obedience, and it had consequences. He ended up taking his own life out of guilt and shame of his sin. And even that, he didn't have to do that. See, one of the things Judas didn't do that Peter did do was own his own sin and bring it out into the light and confess it. See, if you are in the middle of a double life right now, you do not have to continue in that double life. There is a way out, and the way out isn't personal harm. It's confession and turning to Jesus Christ. Owning your wrong and bring it out into the light. And with that comes forgiveness and a new life that Jesus makes possible. This room is filled with men and women who have done that, myself included. Bringing my sin out into the light, owning it, and receiving forgiveness and turning from it and seeking to obey the Lord. See, it's not enough to be around Jesus and his followers To really have, Judas would have been the recipient of the purest teaching that's ever been taught. No error because it came from Jesus himself. He would have had an education that was far better than any 
the best seminary degree, the best um, teachers that the world could assemble, the best Bible scholar. He, he had it all. But even that isn't enough. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, are you saying that Judas wasn't a Christian or are you saying he was a Christian? I don't know. I've read articles this week of both directions. I'm not sure. But the important question is, are you a Christian? Are you going through the motions of Christianity or do you have a personal faith, trust in Jesus Christ alone? And out of that personal trust and relationship with Jesus, are you seeking to obey him and live for him and use your gifts and abilities for him? See, that's the life God wants for you. That's the life, as we're going to see next week as Jason tackles Acts chapter 2, that's the life that the power of the Holy Spirit produces in us. See, we, we would be foolish to jump over Jesus' life and not learn. Sin always has consequences. It promises pleasure and delivers heartache personally and then relationally to those around us as well. So if you are called in something, bring it to light. There's so much hope and grace and mercy for you this morning. Turn to him. Last thing we're going to look at is the disciples actively looked to the mission. So they're going to get into the replacement of the 12th disciple. The reason they're getting into it is because they know they're called to go and make disciples. And Jesus wanted them to have 12, so they know they have some work to do. Look at verse 21. So one of the men who had accompanied us during, this is the criteria. So one of the men that have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Ju Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take his place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, in other words, they had to pick a twelfth man to be a part of this team to take the good news of Jesus into the world. And one of the ways they did it was by pulling lots, which would be the equivalent of, let's say, pulling straws, short straw, long straw, or, or rolling dice, or flipping a coin. So that should raise some questions in your mind. You're telling me the future of Christianity was, was based on flipping a coin or, or rolling dice? Not exactly. See, the criteria here, there's a lot of criteria before they get to the, the pooling of straws. So both of these men had to meet a certain criteria. Here's the criteria. They had to accompany Jesus' ministry the entire time of Jesus' ministry. They specifically had to be there at when John the Baptist was, was baptizing and baptized Jesus, and the whole way through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so, 
from that criteria, and they, Luke's assuming, but I think this is a very strong assumption, that these men had personal trust in Jesus just like the other disciples. So basically they have two qualified men. So these are men that are completely qualified to be apostles. So it's with that then they decide to, to pull straw. So this isn't like you heard in, during the announcements, we're looking for another staff pastor to join our pastoral team. We're not going to go to IUP Monday morning and I'll find two guys that look friendly and say, hey, I think one of you should be the pastor here at, at Saving Grace Church. I'm about to offer you a job. I got straws. Or would you like to flip a coin? Heads or tails? Heads, you're on staff. Tails, you got to keep going to IUP. That, that's not how we would do it. That's not what's happening here. See, what's happening here is you got qualified men, two very qualified men, that it comes down to, Lord, which one do you have for us? It's the same with, as we're looking for a pastor, the Bible's very clear on pastoral qualifications. What, what a man has to meet in order to be a pastor. So, when we interview people, when we get to that point, when we are praying and considering, and let's say it comes down to several people who are qualified. The qualifications are objective in Scripture. But there may be more than one very qualified person, just like it was there. Well, then what do you do? Do you get the dice out? What do you do? Well, look at verse 24. I love this. This helps us. And they prayed... And said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. So even in there, what they did was the casting of lots. They're asking the Lord to choose. And what's really cool is what in our Bibles is four or five words or six words. Who knows the hearts of all. In Greek, that is one word. And it literally means you're the heart knower. Lord, you're the heart knower. You're the one who knows the hearts of all. You know the hearts of which apostle would be best. And so with that, they cast lots and they end up with Matthias. So does that mean our pastoral search team, when you're talking to them um, in the, the coffee bar before and after church and just sharing your opinions about the process, should you ask them, like, are you guys going to use dice? Are you going to use straws? What are you going to use? No, I don't, I don't think so. See, we have the Holy Spirit now that, that they didn't yet have. They're going to get next week in Acts 2. And so we are going to pursue the collective wisdom of the church. We're going to seek the Lord. And we're going to look at the objective qualifications for pastoral ministry. And we're going to seek the Lord. But our hope is in the great heart knower, the one who knows all things. So you don't have to worry if we're just going to do something flippant. We, we certainly are not. But let's widen the, the camera lens back out one more time. Why, why are the 12 disciples doing this? Why did they take the time to have this put in the Bible? Why did Luke record this? Why, why gather a 12th person before the Holy Spirit arrives. 
Well, the main reason is they, they were preparing for the mission. They knew that Christianity was mission-based, was all about taking this treasure of Jesus and sharing him with the world. And here's the thing. We have the same commission. If you know Jesus, you have the treasure to be shared with everyone else that does not know Jesus. That is your call. No matter your gifts, no matter your abilities, no matter your personality, you have the treasure. Some of you will will share that treasure in a loud and boisterous way. Some of you will share it in a very humble and within your personality way. That's okay. What's not okay is to keep that treasure covered up and in your pockets and not sharing it. See, Jesus saved you to be a part of his mission, to be part of the team to share Jesus with others. See, as a church, let us be actively devoted to prayer, to the scriptures, and to the mission. Let's stand and we're going to pray and the band's going to come up. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we don't have to wait till next week to invite you into our lives, that you are dwelling among us now. You are in each of us who know you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us power to be your witnesses. We pray we would be um, very mindful of seeking you through prayer and we would see you answer prayers in very specific ways. Lord, we ask that you would renew and restore childlike faith for each of us. And we pray we would watch you work. We, we ask that you would do mighty things in this town and community that would be far-reaching into eternity. We ask for your help. We ask for your power. And we love you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.